All right. Good morning, church. Great to see a full house here. This is wonderful. Um, I do want to welcome any of you that are uh, new today, um, even those who are maybe joining us online as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, you know, <clears throat> once a year, many around the world um, recognize Easter as a day to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. But of course, every Sunday when the church gathers, uh, it remembers that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. It's why we meet on Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith and is the main event of God's redemptive history. Uh, it is one of the primary themes of our worship and uh, our praise because the resurrection is the source of eternal life. For all who would believe. In fact, the resurrection is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true believer. Um, without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith, there is no salvation, there is no hope. If Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. A person who believes in a Christ who was not raised from the dead believes in a powerless Christ, believes in a dead Christ. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then no redemption was accomplished upon the cross. And your faith is worthless. As Paul goes on to say, and you are still in your sins. I would add, dead in your sins. The message of Scripture, then, has always been a message of resurrection hope. A message that death is not the end for those who belong to Christ. For the believer, death has never been an end, but rather a doorway that leads to eternity with our Savior. And this has been the hope of God's people going all the way back to the time of Abraham, who according to Hebrews 11:19, willingly obeyed God's command to sacrifice his only son Isaac, because in faith he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. The psalmist declared in Psalm 49, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. The prophet Isaiah declared, Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. In Daniel 12, the Lord assures his people through the prophet that many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. Even Job, who lived during the patriarchal period, some of the earliest time that we have recorded in the Old Testament, asked the rhetorical question, if a man dies, will he live again? And then he declared, all the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Faithfully 
Job even anticipated the reality of the resurrection when he proclaimed to his friends, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Likewise, when we come to the New Testament, uh, the first sermon ever preached after Jesus had risen from the dead, focused on the resurrection. For example, Peter preached in Acts 2, 23, this man, talking of Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, verse 24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter continues preaching on the resurrection right through chapter 2. All the way into chapter 4, he preaches again on the resurrection. In chapter 10, the theme again is the resurrection. The same is true for the Apostle Paul as he comes on the scene in the book of Acts. He preaches on the resurrection in chapters 13, 23, 24, and 26. Over and over again, he confronts the Jews saying, God has raised them from the dead. And then when you come to the epistles, the, the letters to the church, they are packed with resurrection truth. Paul declared to the church in Corinth that Christ was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It is his resurrection that guarantees ours. It is his resurrection, says Paul, that is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. In Romans 6, verse 5, he says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And in Ephesians 1, verse 20, he says, The Father raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then to the Philippians, Paul wrote how he longed to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Peter in his first epistle wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then it was the Apostle John, who in the book of Revelation sees a risen Christ in a vision. And the Lord says to him, Do not be afraid, John, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, 
I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. In his sermon, following the risen Christ, Charles H. Spurgeon spoke these words concerning the meaning of the Lord's Day of Sunday. He said, quote, to set apart an Easter Sunday for special memory of the resurrection is a human device for which there is no scriptural command. But to make every Lord's Day and Easter Sunday is due to him who rose early on the first day of the week. We gather together on the first rather than on the seventh day of the week because redemption is even a greater work than creation and more worthy of commemoration because the rest which followed creation is far outdone by that which ensues upon the completion of redemption. Like the apostles, we meet on the first day of the week and hope that Jesus may stand in our midst and say, peace be unto you. Our Lord has lifted the Sabbath from the old and rusted hinges whereon the law had placed it long before and set it on the new golden hinges which his love has fashioned. He has placed our rest, not at the end of a week of toil, but at the beginning of the rest which remaineth for the people of God. Every first day of the week we should meditate upon the rising of our Lord and seek to enter into relationship with him in his risen life, end quote. So as you can see, the resurrection is foundational of all of our hope because it was Jesus who said, because I live, you will live also. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who believes in me will never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? Yes, indeed. And so we come today with great excitement then to this record of our Lord's resurrection. So turn with me this morning to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And uh, as you're turning there, let me mention to you that each of the uh, four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, present the resurrection. And each of them, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, presents uh, a distinctive perspective, picking out certain elements of the event to highlight. Um, Matthew approaches it very interestingly. It's why I ended up on Matthew for this Sunday, he approaches the resurrection as, as seen through the emotional reactions of a group of women who are the first to encounter the reality of the risen Christ. And so let's read the story once through, and then I want us to experience the resurrection through the eyes of those who were there. The text begins there in Matthew chapter 28, and I want us to read verses 1 through 10 this morning. And this is the reading of the word of the living God. Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for 
fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Did you notice Matthew doesn't approach the resurrection from an analytical or an evidential perspective? Rather, he focuses on the emotional reaction of these women who love their Lord very deeply. And so we see these women react, and I'll call it five different stages that you'll see in the outline in your notes. And the first stage I want you to notice is the compassion that they had for the Lord Jesus, the compassion. And before we see that compassion, though, Matthew sets an important time marker there for us at the beginning of verse 1. He says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. See that little phrase there, after the Sabbath? It's actually a unique construction in the Greek. It intends to express the idea of a considerable amount of time has elapsed since the Sabbath. How much time? The next phrase tells us, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. And again, the Greek phrase used here for the first day of the week is interesting, as it again uses the word sabbaton, which literally in the Greek means day one in reference to the Sabbath. Day one in reference to the Sabbath. Now the reason that is done is because the Jews didn't have names for the week, names for the days of the week. So they didn't have Sunday, they didn't have a Monday, they simply numbered them in relation to the Sabbath. And so it was day one after the Sabbath, it was day two after the Sabbath, and so on through the week. So this sets the time for us after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. It is Sunday morning. The Sabbath ended Saturday night. Um, so this is now the third day that the Lord has been in the grave. He was there part of Friday, all on the Sabbath on Saturday, and now it's Sunday, the dawn of the first day of the week. Mark adds, it was very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. Luke adds, it was early dawn. And John says, it all began while it was still dark. Right at that time, where if you were awake this morning, that darkness and light meet. At the sunrise, at the dawn, as the sun is just starting to peek through and yet the sky is still dark. 
That is the hour of the greatest event in history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So the stage was set for, after all, Jesus has said he would be raised on the third day. He had said it many times, repeating it throughout his ministry. So this is a very important time note. It is after the Sabbath, after the Sabbath. And we could even use that phrase after the Sabbath, sort of figuratively. For the Sabbath had been a very special day for rest, for literally since the creation. But the Sabbath that, that Sabbath, Jesus was in the grave and it symboled a new day of rest for God's people. That Sabbath would be the last divinely ordained Sabbath for his people because the following day would be the new covenant in Jesus Christ that would be ushered in. For you see, that Sunday was the dawning of not only a new day, but of a new era of redemptive history. As we now gather together around the world on Sunday in celebration and in worship of the one who said, come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That was the time reference. Now we turn our attention to the women. It says in verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now Matthew only focuses on these two Marys. He only focuses on these two women, Mary Magdalene and then the other Mary. She's the wife of Clopas, um, but they're not alone. They are not the only two women that, that are there. Mark adds um, Salome or Salome, uh, the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee. She's there also, it says in Mark 16, 1. In Luke 24, he says Joanna was there. She was the wife of Cusa. Joanna is mentioned as being healed by Jesus all the way back in Luke chapter 8. And so if you compare all four of the Gospels, you get a whole group of women who are here, who have been the disciples of the Lord for a year or two. They love the Lord dearly, and they have come out of sympathy and for compassion for him. Now, you might be wondering, did they come to see the resurrection? Were they there to see the resurrection? The answer is no. They didn't come to see the resurrection. As many times as Jesus talked about the resurrection, as many times as he promised a resurrection, when the time came, the testimony of Scripture is no one was there. No one believed. No one waited anticipating the Lord's resurrection. You might say, well, then why are the women there? It says in verse 1, they came to see the tomb. Not the risen Lord. You say, well, what's the point of coming to see the tomb? Well, a little further than that. Mark 16, 1 tells us when the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. So you see, their purpose was not to see a resurrection. Their purpose was to anoint a corpse, a dead body. And though J uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already anointed his body on Friday, it had been just before the Sabbath, so it's possible the women believed that it had been done hastily, well, probably plainly the men didn't know what they were doing. And so they had to come and do it themselves. 
whatever the case, uh, though they had not come to the tomb to witness a resurrection, we do see, however, compassion in the hearts that they had for the Lord in this one final act of love. But as they approached the tomb, their emotion of sympathy, uh, sympathy and uh, compassion, um, sympathy and compassion, has suddenly turned into fear and terror. Fear and terror. Notice what it says in verses 2 through 7. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have... This second section focuses on their fear. And you'll notice in verse 5, the angel of the Lord said to the women... Do not be afraid. Um, why are they afraid? Well, let's start back at the beginning there in verse 2. As these women are approaching the tomb, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake. A great earthquake would have shaken the ground underneath the women, violently probably throwing them to the ground. What caused the earthquake? Well, most people have just sort of concluded the resurrection caused it, but that is not the right answer. Matthew tells us what caused it in verse 2. There was a great earthquake for or because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. When the angel of the Lord hit the ground, it created a seismic wave. In fact, that's the word in the Greek used here, seismos means a, a great commotion, a shaking, an earthquake. Nothing, by the way, says that the angel let Jesus out of the tomb. That's a lie. That's a lie. You mean to say Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead, but he then needed to wait there in order for an angel or someone to come to let him out of the grave? No, the angel did not move the stone away to let the Lord out. The angel moved the stone away to let the women in so that they could see he was already gone. The angel came not to let the Lord out, you see, but to let the women in and the world in. He is not here, for he has risen. So after the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, it says he rolled back the stone and sat on it. What a great picture that is. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. What a scene this would have been. The women come into the garden. They see the tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away. And sitting on it is an angel with the guardsmen like dead men on the ground now matthew doesn't conclude it but in john's gospel john chapter 20 if you want to move there quickly i know we're in john and so in a few weeks we'll we'll look at john's version of events 
But it seems that Mary Magdalene leaves the garden. And as soon as she saw that that tomb had been taken away from, from the, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, she turned it and she booked it. She doesn't seem to take note that there was an angel. The stone is moved. The grave is empty. That's enough for her. John 20 verse 2 tells us her reaction. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. We know that's the apostle John. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Who are they? She doesn't know. They, they, it could be the, the Romans, they, the, the religious leaders of Israel, grave robbers. I don't know. They, somebody has taken the Lord. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. So you know the story. Peter and John are running towards the tomb. Meanwhile, back in Matthew's gospel, the other women are still there at the tomb. It's only Mary Magdalene who turns around and runs. And they're about to be confronted by the angel of the Lord. And so notice what it says in verse 5. Matthew 28, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. You see, the guardsmen had reason to fear that Christ had risen. They were outside the family of God. But those who loved him had nothing to fear. So the angel said, do not be afraid or quite literally stop being afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know why you're here. I know why you're here. Now, wasn't that a comforting word for these women? Oh, he knows us. He knows why we're here. I know why you're here. You're here to seek Jesus. But remember why they came. They came to anoint a corpse, not to see a resurrection. And I suppose if it had been you or, or me, possibly, we might have said, oh, you unbelieving women, ye of little faith. But isn't God so gracious? He doesn't condemn them. He knew their faith was weak. But God knows the heart. God knows the heart. And even in the moments of doubt and despair, God recognizes their love and he responds graciously. He responds in grace. So the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Be comforted by this. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. The New Testament says that Christ raised himself. The New Testament also says that the Father raised him. The New Testament also says the Holy Spirit raised him. That's right. They were all in on it. The entire Trinity participated. And he's alive just as he said. The angel says at the end of verse 6, Come, see the place where he laid. The angel opened the tomb to let them in. 
come on in, he says, and they went in. Luke 24, verse 3 says, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now there's two angels. And it says in Luke 24, verse 5, the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. This is a, a holy, reverent fear, I, I can suspect. And the men, the angels, said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And then they remembered his words. Ding, 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 ding. <gasps> he did say that, didn't he? He told us this. Not until then did they regrip the promise that Jesus had made that he would die and he would rise again? It was in that fear that they were given a command. Verse 7 in Matthew chapter 28. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead. And behold, behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See I have told you. I can understand the sense of awe and terror, even a, a holy fear that these women had, because after all, if he was alive and he was, this changes everything. Well, there's another emotion that comes into play for these women. And that is number three, joy. Joy. We see the, the great joy that this news brings. Let's pick the story back up there in verse 8. It says, so they, they the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Their fear begins to give way to a, a great joy as the women departed quickly from the tomb, running towards the disciples to give them this incredibly wonderful good news. Now we know from John's gospel that at this exact time, you had Peter and John and Mary also running to the tomb. Okay? So while this group of women are running away from the tomb to the disciples, the other disciples, the other Peter and John and Mary are running towards. So they must have been on different paths. does not say that they crossed or met. By the time Peter and John arrived, the, angel, the angels now were already gone, and, and so were the women. But the joy these women had inside of them could not be taken away. And they went away quickly 
just as the angel had commanded them, for they had great news, wonderful news to tell his disciples. Jesus had risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. That was the message. What great news. Tell them, I have risen from the dead. He has risen from the dead. The Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is alive, and he will meet you in Galilee. So that was the message. So they ran. Their hearts are filled with great joy, and they go to tell the disciples this great news. But that wasn't the end of their transformation. There's another attitude that comes through there in verse 9, and that's number 4. And we see worship, worship. And I love this verse in verse nine. Notice what happens in verse nine. They're running to the disciples to tell the message from the angel that he's alive and they're to meet him in Galilee. And behold, Jesus met them. He meets these women on their way to the disciples. He's standing there in, in resurrected glory. And he says to them, Greetings. <laughs> I, lo I love that. In the Greek, it's no profound statement. No. He just says to him, hello. This was uh, an ordinary greeting. You would usually say it in the marketplace. Good morning, ladies. Uh, travelers who pass each other on the road would say this. It, it, this was a, a, just a regular, ordinary greeting. Hi. Hello. It was him. And immediately, these women knew it. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And what did they do? They worshipped him. They moved from compassion to fear to joy to worship what does that mean they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him they acknowledged him as lord and god and christ this was the risen savior the divine son of god standing in glory before them and they bowed the knee to him as Lord. They recognized his deity. They recognized his glory. They recognized his lordship. So they had gone from compassion over his awful death to fear of the, the supernatural that was going on to joy over the reality that he had risen to worship at the feet of the risen, exalted Christ. And that's where God wants to take you. It's not enough to sit there at the cross feeling compassion for a crucified martyr. That will damn you if that's all it is. It's not enough to fear his supernatural power. The guardsmen did that. It's not enough to feel the joy of hope at some church service either. No, unless you come to the place where you bow your face before him, confess him, Lord, and you worship him. And that's what they did. But that wasn't it because this experience produced a fifth emotion. 
Number five, the emotion of hope. Hope. What they saw filled them with hope. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Did you notice this is the exact same message that the angel had given them? The angel did his job, right? He gave them the correct word. <laughs> and here they get it straight from Jesus. And what does this produce? Hope. How? We're going to see him again. We're going to be with him again. He is not dead. He has risen. It was here. The last remnants. Of their fear crumbled. At first it was all fear. And then it progressed and it was mixed with fear and joy. Now with their resurrected Lord having stood in front of them, he says, no more fear. And now the fear is gone. And all that's left in their hearts was worship and resurrection hope. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And, and that's our hope as well, isn't it? Not to go to Galilee, <laughs> but that one day we will stand face to face with our Lord. So the resurrection undergirds a number of important truths for us, doesn't it? Um, First of all, it gives evidence that the word of God is true, right? How? Because the Bible promised 100 years before that the Messiah would rise from the dead. For example, we could look at David's prophecy in Psalm 16.10, which said, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. The promise of God was that the Holy One, the Messiah, would come and he would not abandon his soul to shield the realm of the dead. He would not do that. Peter quotes Psalm 16 when he preaches in the resurrection in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and indicates that it refers the scripture not to David who wrote it, uh-uh. It refers to the Christ. He says, but that David looked ahead. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. And, and then, of course, we have Jesus' own words, don't we, that he repeated throughout his ministry, stating that he must die and that he would rise again on the third day. So we can be sure, beloved, because of the resurrection, the Bible is then true. It testifies to itself over and over and over again. Secondly, the resurrection is also proof 
that Jesus is the Son of God, just as he said. It's through the resurrection, Acts 2.36, that God had made him both Lord and Christ. It says also in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. It is his resurrection that proves that he is God in human flesh. Thirdly, it is the resurrection that seals our salvation. Romans 4 verse 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. His resurrection demonstrates his sacrificial price satisfied a holy and just God. Having borne our sin, Christ paid our penalty. Therefore, God is just to forgive us. Therefore, we are justified. Justified. It is the resurrection that proves that we will receive eternal life. Jesus said in John 14, Because I live, you will live also. It is the resurrection that is the key in sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said seven. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, talking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, Jesus says, I will send him to you. It is by the resurrection that he presents us with a new identity. Romans 6 verse 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then fourthly, it is by his resurrection that he demonstrates his right to be the final judge. The final judge. He who conquered death has the power and authority over life and death. Not only to bring himself out of the grave, but all who ever lived. Jesus said back in John chapter 5, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. When he returns as judge, the Lord says, all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and will come forth. What kind of power is that? And then lastly, is by his resurrection that he proves heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting. Jesus promised in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What do we learn from the resurrection? That the word of God is true. That the promises of Jesus are true. That Jesus Christ is deity. That he is the son of God. That Jesus is the final judge over all men. And that salvation is complete. We also learn from the resurrection 
that heaven is waiting for us and how perfect it will be for our risen Savior is the one who is preparing it. Let not your hearts be troubled, beloved. You believe in God, don't you? Good, Jesus says. Believe also in me. For I am God. I am God. All our hope hinges on this great cornerstone of truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's why the church meets on the first day of the week to ever and always be reminded that at the foundation of everything is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't encountered the risen Christ or if you need prayers of encouragement, we want to invite you to come forward today. And at this time, I'll ask the uh, worship team to come up and lead us in our time of worship. Thank you.